Praise the Lord. Amen. Hey, that is just great. What a way, what a way to celebrate baptism, a picture of death to life in Jesus Christ. We're thankful for Rafe and his profession of faith. We're thankful for his parents and grandparents who have discipled him, who've shown him the love of Christ. We're thankful for this church that has poured into him since he was born. And uh, we we just praise God for this. And uh, we're thankful for how God is working in uh, our Bayshore students and our families, how he's working in this church and this community community. Uh, We're thankful. Two things uh, that I want to draw your attention to as you open up to the book of Galatians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be in our text today. Uh, But two things I want to draw your attention to. First is uh, a parenting conference that we're hosting uh, in late February, the 24th through 26th, Gospel-Centered Parenting. Uh, Registration for that is now open, and you can do that online at churchonbayshore.org. We'll be uh, thankful to have Paul Purvis, who is a pastor pastor of Mission Hill Church in the Tampa area, and who is currently the president of the Florida Baptist Convention. He'll be with us that weekend sharing. Uh, You want to be a part of that event if you know somebody who could benefit, just, hey, uh, send them a line and uh, don't be like, hey, I think you need this. Uh, that may be kind of, uh, I'm not received the right way, but hey, our church is hosting a parenting conference. Thought you might be interested. That may be a better invite uh, than you need some parenting help, um, but don't we all, Lord Jesus, amen. Um, and then also uh, this summer, we have uh, three different uh, opportunities to serve globally with mission teams and registration for those is open. You can look at that at churchonbayshore.org. You can go to our homepage. You'll find registration for the parenting conference. You'll find information for our global trips. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, there is an application process and fees that are due. Uh, so I would invite you to, to do that as those dates are coming up mid-February uh, for those uh, three trips. So please uh, pay attention to that. Let's uh, open up to the book of Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 11 through 24. Uh, uh, We are continuing in our series centered, continuing uh, the sermon from last week, the depth of the gospel. This is simply the depth of the gospel part two. And for those of you that I don't know yet, my name is Justin, and I'm the associate pastor of worship and missions here on Church on Bayshore. It's my privilege to open the word uh, for you today while Pastor James is out. Uh, he did let me borrow some of his really cool shoes, so uh, I feel like, I'm just kidding, these are my sons because we wear the same size shoe now. All right. Perks. This perks, right? Uh, don't let, uh, and if it's not going to grow, I'm not going to let it because I like his shoes. Um, let's uh, dive into the word. Would you open Galatians chapter 1, 11 through 24? Let's read the word together. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. 
Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray together. Lord, um, we just pray that uh, through your word, you will change us. I do pray for my own heart and for the hearts of every person here that um, that the gospel will take a deeper root in our heart, um, that we would turn away from our own uh, trying and understanding and and just trust you and your wisdom and your understanding. And Holy Spirit, help us in this. We pray in your name, amen. Have you ever spent time investing in someone, maybe discipling them or teaching them, maybe it was mentoring at work, uh, you're, you're coaching a little league team, or you're just pouring into someone, just counsel, and you've poured into them and taught them and taught them and poured everything you know into them, and you're like, they are ready to run the race. And so they start running, and you're like, great, my work here is done. And you step away. And then somebody else walks into the picture, and they start teaching them some things that actually are contrary to what you've been teaching them, and they end up no better for it. In fact, they end up worse for it. Well, this is essentially what's happening in the book of Galatians. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to the teaching online. Uh, you can hear some of the context for the book of, Galatia, uh, book of Galatians and what's happening. But what is happening is that there, Paul was preaching a gospel, and then people had come in who were preaching a gospel that is different than this. And not only were they teaching a different gospel, they were actually proclaiming that Paul had left some things out. But you can trust us because we know Paul because we have the same origins. So this would be like in the aforementioned scenario, you teaching and pouring into someone, and then along comes a guy named Jeff. And uh, there's a Jeff here, I know, and he's great. He's up there in the balcony and he's picking on you because you love Jesus and you won't punch me later. But but Jeff comes along and Jeff is like, hey, uh, Justin taught you some stuff, but he left out some details. But you can trust me because Justin and I go way back. I mean, we grew up together. In fact, we went to school together. We learned from the same professors at the same school. And we're teaching the same thing, but you know, he's forgetting. What you actually need to do is a few more things. Thanks, Jeff, you ruined it, all right? And that's exactly what's happening here. The Judaizers were, pro- were claiming that they had the same authority as Paul, but Paul left some things out, and they were claiming that Paul got his story directly from Jerusalem. That's why in this text, we see a lot of details, Paul telling us exactly where he uh, was, when he was there, and how long he was there. Because their accusation against Paul isn't just that he's leaving stuff out, but that, hey, we're essentially, we got the same roots, you can trust us. The Judaizers were teaching that in addition to faith in Christ, that the followers, the believers in Galatia also needed to do some extra things, specifically that they needed to become Jewish in appearance by being circumcised. And so they were adding on to the gospel and they were claiming credibility. They were claiming credibility by associating with Paul because he was a Jew, we're Jews. He learned in Jerusalem, we learned in Jerusalem. And so Paul painstakingly goes through details. This is actually, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. Like he says, this is not what happened. 
In Galatians chapter one, he gives the details that this is not actually what happened, and he spends time telling that. The first thing he says is in verse 12. He says, I didn't receive this gospel from man. I wasn't taught this gospel in Jerusalem. I received this by revelation from Jesus Christ. In fact, I didn't even go to Jerusalem until three years afterwards, and I didn't consult with anyone. If you go back and read Acts chapter nine, the story of Paul's conversion, you'll see that Paul, he spent time, he, he received Jesus. Jesus appeared to him on the road of Damascus. He encountered Jesus Christ. What he's talking about in verse 12 and verse one, excuse me, verse 11 and 12, he also talks about in verse one. And he says, I received this by revelation of Jesus Christ. And Paul, when he received this revelation from Jesus Christ, he sees the apostles in Damascus, spends time with them, it's confirmed, and he spends three years studying, seeing Jesus in the Old Testament because he knew it backwards and forwards. And he was preaching in the synagogue before he went to Jerusalem. And then we, to add more detail to his rebuttal of their claims, he says not only did I not go for three years? When I got there, they were surprised to see me. They were proclaiming, this is actually Paul, the one who used to persecute us? And so the rest of the book of Galatians from chapter two, Paul's gonna get into some very detailed arguments about the gospel and, and showing why the gospel is a gospel of grace, not a gospel of works. But in chapter one, verses 11 through 24, we see his first appeal is this. Paul's first appeal to rebut the teachings of the Judaizers is his own personal conversion to Christ. His former life, his conversion, and now his calling. So review from last week. James said this, the gospel is from God, not man. And we need to remember this this morning as we look further into chapter one. The gospel is from God, not man. The gospel is from God, not man. And Paul is saying this and he recounts this story because Paul is very much an unlikely candidate to be doing what he is doing. You know, Paul grew up, uh, he was very familiar with the Jewish customs. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was zealous. He was very well educated, very refined. And the least likely person you think who would be out preaching the gospel. If you look at Paul's high school yearbook, it would not say most likely to plant churches and write half the New Testament. You know, he, he was zealous for persecution of the saints. In verses 11 and 12, he says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. So that phrase, any man, there's a, it's also used in the New Testament to mean flesh and blood. And so what Paul is really trying to drive home as he says, I didn't receive this from man, it's not, he's just not saying, I didn't receive it from a dude. He's like, I didn't receive this from flesh and blood. I received it by the spirit of God. I met Jesus. I met Jesus and Jesus changed me. And so what Paul is pointing to is that there is an, object, uh, there is an objective truth and you can check it out. I met Jesus, and then before I started preaching all this stuff, I actually was with the apostles, I was actually with the disciples in Damascus, and they confirmed what I was teaching, and then everyone, if you go back and read Acts 9, people were amazed that Paul was preaching the gospel of truth. 
Because if you're like me, we read this and it's like, hey, he, he had this appearance of Jesus and I know of people and I know some people who have claimed I mean, I had a revelation. Jesus showed this to me. I have a revelation from God, and it's not a revelation from God. I mean, religions have been formed and founded upon one person's revelation from God. Mormonism was founded by a revelation from God to one person with no eyewitnesses. Jehovah's Witness, same story. Islam, same but Paul is saying, I met Jesus Christ and I'm preaching the gospel. And by the way, I, I, I was with the people who were with him who saw it and they confirm it to me. There's, there's an object, check it out. There is an objective truth here. And so verses 16 and 17, he says this, I did not immediately consult with anyone, talking about Jerusalem and the, and the Jews in Jerusalem, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. So when you read this with Acts 9, you see that he did spend time with them in Damascus, not Jerusalem. And I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Keep in mind the, excuse me, that's my notes, not the scripture. <laughs> yeah, let me just read my notes to you. So Paul, is, he's just trying to prove to them their story is not actually how it went down. So keep in mind, why is Paul doing this? Because they are claiming credibility by being associated with him. And so when they claim credibility, a false credibility, they're leading people astray. And so we need to remember that Paul is saying, painstakingly, this is not man's gospel. He says in these verses, this isn't something that was just handed down to me by tradition in such a way that his Jewish practices and traditions were. No, I met Jesus. And so I ask us this morning, can we pause this morning and just ask the Lord to search our hearts? And what are we doing? And tradition isn't bad. But what are we doing out of tradition and not out of active faith? Is faith to you something that you were just brought up in and taught and you haven't really considered what it means to follow Jesus, to know him and follow him. And Paul is saying it's not a matter of just being instructed, it's a matter of following. It's a matter of encountering Jesus. Is our faith simply a tradition passed on to us or is it a personal thing we have because we have met Jesus? Paul is saying it's not just something you're taught, it's actually a response. This is important for us to remember that Christianity, though we disciple, though we teach, though we instruct, and though we study, Christianity ultimately is not something we taught. It is a response to the grace of God. That Christianity is a response to the grace of God. Then we continue on in verses 18 through 24. Paul says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James and the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was an unknown person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. He's saying they didn't know me. I wasn't there. And they were only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And so Paul is appealing to his own conversion. Paul was radically changed. Paul was radically changed. So my question for us this morning is, are we? Are we radically changed? 
Are you full of joy or a constant critic? Are you entitled or grateful? Do you love the things of the world more than the creator of the world? Are you humble or are you proud? Have you met Jesus? Because Jesus, encountering Jesus and meeting Jesus changes us because Christianity is a response. Christianity is a response to the revelation of God. Jesus Christ reveals himself to us and we respond. Matt Smethurst is the pastor and he says this, once you've encountered God, you walk with a limp and not a strut. Christians are marked by humility by recognizing that everything we have received and everything we have is a gift of grace from our Father, nothing that we have earned. And Paul is recounting his own conversion and his own story that is marked by grace. And this is review from last week, but it just continues on because it's the same chapter. We are called by grace. We are called by grace. In verse 15, he says, after detailing, his acts of persecution, his Judaism, his Jewish faith. He says, but when he, had set, when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. He says that God, but God. So when you're reading scripture and studying scripture, pay attention to those transition words, the conjunctions. Pay attention to them because what they're saying is what he just said is about to be connected to what he's saying, but God. So God did this. God revealed his grace to Paul. Grace always has an object. And Paul is saying, I am the object of that grace. Paul is saying this was divinely revealed to me, not the instruction of man. Paul was not intellectualized into Christianity. Paul wasn't intellectualized into Christianity. Now, I believe we should study the word. I think we should study it and study it and study it some more. And I believe we should be trained in apologetics and how to defend our faith and how to answer questions. But no one is truly intellectualized into Christianity. You encounter Jesus and you respond. And there's a lot of different ways that that happens because God works in many different ways. But Christianity is a response. I had a friend uh, who, his, he came to a church, the church where I was a pastor at the time, and he uh, came to the service. I didn't actually know him. I hadn't met him yet. He became a friend. But he came, and after service, he was just weeping. He said, I, I just, something's wrong. I'm like, all right, what's, he's like, but I don't know what it is. And God's doing something. I think God's doing something. And this was a guy who, like, I mean, we're all broken. All of us are sinful. This guy's life, like, it was, you name it, he'd done it. It was messed up. He's like, but I just can't believe. He said, I know that I need to, and I just can't believe. So I said, all right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna meet. And we met, and he's like, I just have so many questions. I have so many questions, I have so many questions. Like, great, I don't have a lot of answers, but I can talk. So we met over the course of months. We would meet every week or every other week, and he would come with different questions about the Bible and different questions about theology and just things that had been gnawing in him, and he couldn't reconcile how God could love him. And he had questions about the Old Testament. He had questions about the New Testament. He had questions about everything, and I gave him answers. I mean, I... I I studied and I would say, hey, give me your questions ahead of time because I want to be sure that I'm prepared to give you the best answer and honor our time. And he would, and he would say, I've got a question about this. And finally, like, we, he's like, I, 
after months of meeting, he said, well, I guess I don't really have any more questions. Like, so what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? And he's like, I, but I'm just, I can't believe. Like, I just can't believe. I was like, I'm a terrible pastor. <laughs> like, you know, like, you feel that? I'm a terrible Christian. I can't, I mean, we had met and I had answers, but he hadn't met Jesus. Now, he had seen Jesus and he had felt God working. I mean, his, his own description is like, I knew God was doing something. I would, he was coming to, to services faithfully. I mean, he was diving in and answering questions. And then a few uh, days later, after our last, our fi- not final meeting, but that, that final meeting, when he said, I'm just not ready, he actually knocked on our front door of our house. And he said, I believe. Like, I'm in. I'm in. Like, I believe this. And what happened? He met Jesus. Like, it finally clicked and the Holy Spirit illuminated his heart and he saw it. And it was not because I answered things well. It was just because he finally saw Jesus. He encountered Jesus Christ. And then everything that he thought and all these questions he had answered to began to make sense. And he actually, after coming to faith, had a lot more questions about faith. But the difference was is that Jesus had met him and he had met Jesus and he responded because Christianity is a response. And this is what Paul is saying. We don't earn it. We're not intellectualized into faith. We're not made righteous into faith. We simply meet Jesus and Jesus and his free gift, the gospel of grace, meets us and he forgives us. And we were dead in our sin, but we are made alive together because of Jesus Christ. Paul's life in Judaism, if he goes back, his life in Judaism was designed to earn. His life in Judaism was designed to earn the praise of man. But it wasn't designed to please God. And he meets Jesus and he begins to understand. And as we continue this morning, just looking back through Paul's education and Paul's pedigree, I think there's five things that we can see that really uh, are ways that we try to earn our standing with God. Whether it's we're trying to earn salvation, and I think this is important to understand that this isn't just for non-Christians who think they have to earn God's love. This is for Christians who think they have to keep God's love. Because I think, my own life, I'm gonna... My own life, there are times I find my heart wondering and thinking, God is so mad at me. God is so displeased with me. He is disappointed in me. And all of that points back to me trying to earn his favor and thinking that if I just do more, if I just be better, and some of y'all like to be better, right? We all wanna be better, and being better isn't a bad thing. We should try to be better. But being better doesn't make God love us more. Like God's approval is on you. If you are in Christ, like his approval is on you. But there's five ways that we fall back into this trap as believers and there's five things that keep us from finally taking that step of faith if we're not believers. The first is this. We try to earn our standing with both man and God through right morals and beliefs. Right morals and beliefs, we think if I just believe the right things, as long as I get everything right, then God will be pleased. And this is a syncretism that attaches itself to Christianity, which ultimately becomes a works-based faith, which is really the issue that Paul is addressing in Galatia. 
The Judaizers are saying you gotta be circumcised. And you know, there are many people in many churches that say you gotta believe everything, you gotta believe everything right, you gotta do everything right. And, there's, and we feel this pressure to get it all right. And morals and beliefs, the right morals and the right beliefs don't save us. Jesus saves us. The next is knowledge. We think if we have the right knowledge that we will be right with God. Now, we should grow in knowledge. I believe we should pursue the opportunities that God places in front of us to grow in our knowledge of his word. We should study the Bible. There are so many resources available to us. We should study, we should grow, but you cannot be educated into the kingdom of God. You can't be educated into the kingdom because Christianity is a response to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we think if we just know the right things, if I, if I know theology better, if I, if I know this, if I believe and know this, then I'll be right. And that is God does not approve of us because we know things. Praise God. God doesn't approve of us because we know things. We also do this through righteous acts. And we think that if we do enough right stuff, we'll earn this favor from God. If we do enough right things, then God will approve of us more. Now, God does bless obedience. That's true. But he doesn't love you because you're obedient. Because Christianity is a response and our obedience is a response to his grace. Our obedience is a response to his faithfulness to us. Righteous acts don't earn God's love and they certainly don't keep God's love. Righteous associations is the next one. If we're just around the right people, doing the right things, voting for the right people, reading the right people, then we will be righteous by association. I know that I'm messed up, but if I hang out with some people that don't, aren't quite as messed up with me, God will be like, oh, I forgot how unrighteous you are because you're hanging out with some really unrighteous. No, it doesn't work that way. And we think if we listen to the right music, I mean, some of y'all, like me, in the 90s, you grew up and you, like, you went to a, a rally and you're like, I gotta break all my secular CDs now. And you toss them in, everybody had a, we had a CD burning, you know, some of y'all from the 80s, it was a tape burning, before that was a record, and now you just, I don't know what you do now, you just delete songs, you know, Apple, I don't skip. I, I, I'm honoring Jesus, I hit skip, right? Like, like we think we're, we're made righteous because we're doing the right stuff, the righteous associations, and, and God doesn't love you because you're doing the right things or hanging out with the right people or know the right things. And the last is this, these religious duties. And we think that we can check some boxes. And when we, one of our base values is this, is that programs don't make disciples. People make disciples. And we think that if we are here enough, read the Bible enough, like God will, I mean, my, my streak on you version is like 48, I'm doing great. And then day 49, you oversleep and you miss it and you're like, I'm a failure. Because we just default to this works-based religious duty that if I'm, you know, I, I remember growing up like, and at our church, we had Sunday school, and like once a year, they did Sunday school awards. Like this, this is dating myself a little bit, but um, and some of you are like, they did that? Yes, they did. It was kind of like honors assembly at school, and they gave out perfect attendance awards, and there was somebody who had like perfect attendance in Sunday school for like 30 years. I literally had never seen her at church. Like, but I was like, that's amazing. That's a goal, and you know, she's probably a great person. I didn't know her, but that doesn't make you righteous, 
That doesn't make you right with God. Like righteous duties, whether it's, whether it's studying the Bible more, completing your reading plan, doing it twice because you're extra holy, perfect attendance, serving as an acolyte, singing in the choir, whatever it is, none of that makes us righteous before God. But we just default to that thinking, if I do more religious things, God will love me more. Last week, James said, definitions matter, motivations matter, and I'll continue that thought and say the order matters. We have to define the right terms, we have to examine our motives, and we have to get the order right because, this is very important, right morals and beliefs are good things. Knowledge is good. Righteous acts and good deeds are good. Righteous associations, I mean, they're, they're good. That's, these aren't bad things. Religious studies, these aren't, they in and of themselves are not bad. But the order matters because if we're doing these things thinking that we are earning God's love and favor, then we are mistaken. And we have fallen into the same trap that the Galatians have fallen into thinking that there is something plus the gospel we must do to be right with God. And the gospel of grace is this, there's nothing you can do, everything you could possibly do has been done on your behalf by Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, order matters. And our response is faith-filled obedience. So should we study the Bible? Yes, should we be disciplined in studying the Bible? Studying the Bible, wow. Should we be disciplined in studying the Bible? Yeah, you should have a plan. If you need help with that, we would love to help you. Should you be involved in a life group and in community? Yeah, all these things are good things. But if our motive is thinking that this is what's going to make me right with God, then we've just moved back into legalism. Adding to the never-ending debt we can never pay on our own. Our fruit doesn't make us, but our fruit gives us away. So it's important to note this, that we're not saying you can just forget about knowing more and doing more and doing good things because God loves you and that's enough. No, the response of Christianity is a desire to do these things. Our fruit doesn't make us Christians, but it certainly gives us away. Listen, not every place that has food is a grocery store. But a grocery store isn't a grocery store if it doesn't have food. Everybody who does good things isn't a Christian, but a Christian will be someone who is showing the fruit of the Spirit working out through their lives. Order matters because Christianity is a response to the free gift that you have received. And a question that is often asked sometimes in response to grace, in response to not earning your salvation is, can you lose it? Can you lose your salvation? And I would just say, we don't have a lot of time to get into this. If you can earn something, then by implication, you can unearn it. So if you think you can earn your salvation and make yourself right with God, then there has to be a threshold in which you would cross back over and unearn it. However, this is not the truth that scripture teaches. You cannot lose what was never yours to earn. You cannot lose what was never yours to earn. Romans, in, in Romans 11, Paul says this, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 
The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise and glory of God. Praise God. Praise God. If you can lose it, then you're saying you can earn it. The sacrifice of Jesus was either sufficient for all sin or it wasn't. And when Jesus died on the cross, all of our sin was future sin. When Jesus died on the cross, all of our sin was future sin. And the bad news is for us this morning is that we are not done sinning. Like we're not because we are in a fallen world and we are not fully redeemed in the presence of Jesus in heaven with him eternal, eternally, but he has redeemed us fully and no longer is our unrighteousness counted against us because we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and when Jesus died on the cross, he made his grace available to us and everything that you were going to do and everything that you were going to say that is wrong, it is covered because all of it was in the future. So I hope this morning that if you feel the weight of feeling like you have to earn God's approval, I pray that the gospel of grace will take a greater root in your heart and alleviate that fear. And alleviate that fear because you are approved because God has called you by name and the calling of God is irrevocable. The calling of God is irrevocable. The calling of God is irrevocable and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so we press in this gospel of grace knowing that we didn't earn it, but we've received it as a free gift. And we don't keep, we didn't earn our right standing with God through righteous acts, and we don't keep our right standing because of righteous acts. Trying to earn right standing with God shows, and I'm changing we are probably to we were maybe because I think it's better wording and that came up with that after all this went to print. So trying to earn right standing with God shows we were maybe converted by a form of religion and not by the risen Christ. You can convert people to religion. Follow these rules, do these things, and then you'll be right. But a relationship with Jesus causes us to change. It causes us to die to self and it is a response. Religion earns, grace receives, and this is so hard for me, and I think this is hard for us because we are, I think, just because of sin, wired to think we have to earn everything. We fall into this trap and we think, I have to earn it. I mean, our culture tells us we have to earn everything. And yes, again, we're not saying you shouldn't work hard. No, you should work hard and you shouldn't be lazy and you shouldn't expect things just to come in life to come to you on a silver platter. But the gospel of grace is a free gift and we are prone to apply everything that our world wires us to think and be to the gospel, thinking we can earn this. And it may seem basic. This is, this is basic. This is basic Christianity. It's Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. But how quickly we desert this. And that is exactly what Paul says to the Galatians. I'm, I'm amazed at how quickly you've deserted the gospel that I preached to you. And so why is this so important for us as a church, as a collective of people to get right, to understand fully and let the gospel of grace transform us? It's because of this. We rub off on each other. We rub off on each other. 
I mean, have you ever been to a church where everyone just seems miserable? Like judgmental? I encourage you this week to listen to uh, Boggy Talk, a podcast, because uh, we have a church member who shares about growing up in that experience and what it was like and going into that experience as an adult, a legalistic, where everyone was just judgy judgerton. You know, you couldn't wear enough right things, listen to enough right things, do enough right things to actually be seen as righteous, and everyone just walked around judging each other. And when you walk around judging people, you know what you are? Some of y'all fill in the blank before I said anything, it's bad. You are just a jerk. (laughs) And you're miserable. Like the gift of God's free grace is that it frees us from being the judge because God's the judge. Because we know we can't earn it. And so freely we've received, so freely we give, so we as a faith community can live with a whole lot of grace towards each other because Jesus has not withheld his free gift to us. Trying to earn and keep favor, it leads to a weariness of the soul. If you're trying to earn it, I mean, some of y'all, some of us, I should say, like we just get tired and when we feel that weariness of soul that views Jesus, that views faith, that views involvement with the church, it's like a, a task. We've got to first examine our hearts and say, Lord, am I just trying to earn something that you've already given to me? George Matheson writes in this hymn, O oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller, because when we encounter Jesus, like Paul did on the Damascus Road, our have-tos are transformed into I get-tos. And this goes, flies in the face of culture. And for some of you, man, this, this flies in the face of how you were raised as a child. In your family, you felt like you had to constantly perform and there was constant disappointment because you didn't reach a certain level or you didn't make the grade or you didn't make the cut. And some of you, it's self-condemnation because you just think you should be better. And here's what I just want us to rest in. Like, Jesus loves you. And I wanna ask that Do you believe that Jesus loves you? That he knows everything about you? That he knows every wicked thing you've done? And not only that, like he knows our thoughts better than our thoughts. Like how many of us would just die on the spot if like our entire lives and everything we've ever done or said was like made public for everyone to see? Like we would never, we would never wanna see another human in the world. And now imagine like not just everything you've ever done or said, but every motive of your heart and every thought you've ever thought just on display for all to see. That is a shameful weight that we wear, but Jesus Christ takes that shame and in his free gift of exchange, he nailed that debt of sin to the cross and it's paid in full. And so you just have to receive that gift of grace and know that you cannot achieve this on your own. I'm a visual person and illustrations help me. So if this is helpful, I, I mean, you're good. And if not, well, just bear with me. So um, I, I think this is kind of how we treat um, our faith. It's that we think like, I'm here and I got to hear. Hold on, Lego man. All right. This is the first one I grabbed out of the kid's bucket. I think, believe this is Mace Windu from the Star Wars uh, trilogy or the prequel, whatever, I don't know. My kids know all that stuff and I just pretend that I, you know. So, 
They know this about me. <laughs> so we, we, he's got a cape so he can fly. That's even cooler. Um, so we're like, we're here. And God's up there. And I gotta get to God. Like this is something that I think that is kind of universally written on people's hearts. Like we know something's wrong in this world and you know, whether, whatever form it takes, we just know that there's something wrong and we gotta get better. And we think God's up here, I'm down here. I know I'm just gonna get my way to God. And so we start doing religious things. And we think, okay, well, um, you know, I'll just go to church and I'm level one up. I'm on level one. I, I came to church, good, all right? Dan told me to put it over here. All right, there we go. So I'm on level one. And we're trained to do this, right? Whether you grew up on Donkey Kong or Pac-Man or Candy Crush or Stumble Guys, I don't know. Like, we're this program. We want to level up. Like, it's addictive, right? Leveling up is an addictive thing. Like, I want to get better. I want to be better. I want to level up. I want to level up. And so we go to church and we realize, okay, well, I, I came and that's kind of good. And I don't know, but maybe there's more to it. And so we're like, okay, well, I'll get, I'll get involved. And I'm going, I go to life group. Mm, I just leveled up. <clears throat> Leveling up, Christian. I'm leveling up. And we're like, all right, well, they're talking about the Bible in life groups, so maybe I'll just read the Bible. Okay, so, dude, I read the Bible for three whole minutes, and I didn't fall asleep, so that's definitely a level up. That's a level up. Maybe two, but I'm not the judge. I don't make the rules. But I'm trying to make the rules because I'm trying to level up. And then, like, that doesn't satisfy us because we still know that something's wrong. Like there's still something wrong in us. And so we're like, okay, well, they're talking about serving at church. And they're like, they're like all right, so I'm leveling up. I started serving mm, maybe three levels because I'm serving with the babies. I don't know. <laughs> Bless the baby servers. And we're like, I'm, I'm doing better. I'm feeling pretty good. Look at the view from up here. Look at the righteous view from up here. I look so holy, don't I? I'm looking down on all those people. They ain't serving. They didn't go to life group. But look at me. I'm on top of the tower, baby. I've arrived. I'm righteous. And then we get to the top and we're like, oh, we realize there's a lot more levels. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Man, okay, well, they're talking about mission trips. Pastor said today, man, a mission trip overseas is worth like three levels, right? No, it's just one. Okay, well, certainly that's gonna get me closer to God, right? Oh, oh, they're talking about a parenting conference? Yeah, I mean, I know some people who need that, but I mean, I, mean, I, I guess I do. I'll come to that, and maybe that'll make me better, and I'll be a little more righteous. And then we're like, well, that still wasn't, so I know I, my friend invited me to this retreat, and I'm gonna go to a retreat. And we go to a retreat, and we're like, man, Jesus is amazing. I'm leveling up. I'm leveling up. I'm just getting so close to God. And then we fall, and we're like, oh, man, how did I fall? Jesus, I, you were so real to me at that retreat, and now I'm I'm just like, I feel like I'm back on level two with you. Go back to star, don't pass go. You're back on level one because you did something really bad. Well, here I go again. I'm gonna get back in church. I'm gonna start reading my Bible again. And we spend our lives just trying to climb this tower. And the, the problem is, so we gotta build a tower to get to the moon. And we can never do that on our own. And the good news about the gospel is that we don't have to build a tower to reach God. You can't. Like Jesus Christ left the throne of heaven and came to earth so that we who are but dust can be redeemed. And 
I need this. We need to be reminded that all of the good that we do, that all the, the goals that God gives us as a, as a church, that they're for his glory, not for ours. And they're not to earn his favor. They are a response to the favor he has shown us by his grace. And so Jesus Christ leaves heaven and he comes to earth and this is the good news of the gospel. We want success we want shortcuts. And this is why self-help books that market themselves a Christian sell and Bibles Gather does. This is why churches can have large service that are super produced to make encounters with God seem so real. And churches that, like ours, that we say we center ourselves around the Bible, how we can still have people in both of those types of churches like know stuff and feel stuff, but not know Jesus. And so our question is, have you met him? Psalm 130, verses three and four say, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If he kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? But we are washed clean and made whole by Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on and we, he says this later on in Philippians, he talks about his, his, his works and the things that he was. And this is essentially his point. He says, you aren't, well, he doesn't say this. This is my notes. You aren't just saved from who you were, but you're saved from who you would become. And I think a lot of us, uh, if you've been in church, you hear like dramatic conversion stories and we're like, well, that's, my, my story's not quite as dramatic. Dude, death to life is pretty dramatic. And Jesus didn't just die to save you from who you were. It's who you would become without him. I mean, imagine your sin and your besetting sins and the things that you struggle with unrestrained by the Holy Spirit working in you and convicting you. He saves us from who we become and that is an eternity apart from him. And so my question to us now is, have you met, like Paul, have you met the risen Christ? Not do you know the right things? Do you know the right people? Have you done the right things? Do you know the risen Christ? He writes in Philippians chapter three, verses three through nine. For we are the circumcision. He didn't say, now we've become circumcised. He said, no, we are the circumcision. Talking about we are now the ones grafted into Christ who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. People of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith because faith is a response, Christianity is a response. Have you met Jesus and have you responded? And so what is your response this morning? I mean, if, you're, if you haven't professed faith in Christ, that can be your response. Say, okay, I'm, 
I'm in. You can text the word believe. The number on the screen will meet you down front as we, as we close. And you can just do that right now. You can just tune me out and tune into the Lord and be like, Jesus, I believe. If you're a Christian, I really wanna ask you this. What's your motivation? And do you have this in the right order? And by God's grace, help us. Like, Lord, just help us get this in the right order. And that can only happen by his grace. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we get by knowing right and believing right. It is something that we respond to, his free gift and his revelation to us. And this is the rest for your weary souls. The gospel of grace knocks us off the tower. It gets us off the treadmill thinking we can perform and it shows us who Jesus is. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good and you are faithful and we pray right now as you would just help us by your grace to respond in faith to who you are. Jesus, that we are not saved because of what we've done. We are saved because of what you have done. And I pray that you will deliver us from thinking that we have to do better and just be better but we would rest in the gospel of grace that transforms us, that makes us more like you, that renews us, that gives us the strength to do more, that gives us the strength to, to, to give our lives for, for your sake, for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. That's our prayer, but Lord, we, we just cannot do that in the wrong order, so I pray that you would keep us in the right order, that we would be faithful to you and faithful to respond to your free gift of grace that holds us today and tomorrow and for all of eternity. Jesus, we pray this in your faithful name, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand as we respond this morning. Uh, just take a moment to just let the truth of what we're about to sing, what the team's gonna lead us in, to saturate our hearts and make us more like Jesus Christ. I'll get in.